Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 102, where we interview Jean Chatsky from Her Money and get her story of financial independence and tips for women to manage their money on their own as well as with their partner. Until we understand our money stories, until we deal with them and the fact that they are never going to go away, we may need strategies that help us work around them, we can't move forward. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my fantastic co-host, Scott Trench. Scott and I are here to show you that wherever you are in your journey, you can begin rapidly moving towards a position of financial freedom, capable of generating a great income, saving a huge percentage of that income, and setting yourself up to make larger and larger investments. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you build a financial position capable of launching yourself towards your dreams. Today, we've got a very special guest, the famous and wonderful Jean Chatsky. Jean is the award-winning financial editor of NBC's Today Show, as well as the best-selling author of 11 books, including her most recent, Women With Money, The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful, Less Stressed, Purposeful, and Yes, Rich Life You Deserve. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. Jean Chatsky from Her Money. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be with you guys. So you've been teaching money 
to people in general and women specifically on the Today Show for 20 plus years? 25 years. 25 years. Uh, You have a new book out called Women With Money. And in your book, you talk about money stories, which are the unconscious way that your experience with money from a very early age shapes your lifelong relationship with money. So Jean, this actually kind of ties really well in with our show. I want to hear your money story. Where does your journey with money begin? So I grew up in a household where money was not really an issue. I mean, we had we had enough. We didn't have an excessive amount. My father was a college professor. My mother taught everything from second grade to a gifted and talented program for high school students. And I, I, I do remember a lot of frugality. I remember going on a trip to Disney World. And before we went, we sat down and we opened the family piggy bank where I had been watching my father put silver dollars and silver half dollars and occasionally a piece of holding money for years and years and years. And we we cracked it open and basically counted it all up, you know, the parents and the kids sitting on the floor of the house and and just sort of remember the thrill that that everybody got realizing there was enough in here that had been saved to sort of cover our entry fees to the park. At the same time, when we drove cross country we didn't go out for lunches. We would go to a grocery store. My mom would get a loaf of bread and a thing of Oscar Mayer bologna and make sandwiches and we'd picnic out of the back of the car. And I, I think I just, I, you know, I learned that money was not something to be toyed with, that, that you had to be careful with money. And that was a feeling that stayed with me for a really, really long time, which didn't mean I didn't lose my way with money eventually. I mean, I went to to college at a place where there were a lot of kids with a lot of money. I overspent on my first credit card. I didn't really take the lessons of you have to save for tomorrow to heart. I bombed my way out of a 401k very early on. And so I think my overarching money story was... I knew enough to hold on really tightly to it, but I didn't really understand how to make the most of it until I started down this path of trying to help others by reporting on personal finance. And that's how I learned to help myself. When you were in college with that, what was kind of your financial position entering college and how did you end up when you left? I was very, very lucky that I did not have student debt When I went to college, I did have the responsibility for paying for all of my extracurriculars. So that was the deal that my parents cut with me and my brothers. They would pay tuition, room and board. We would pay for everything else. So I I worked all the way through high school. I worked in college. I did everything from babysit to teaching Sunday school. And I had to, you know, I, I definitely had those days of checking my, my bank account and seeing, you know, oh my God, there's $10 there. I better do something because I certainly wasn't going to call my parents and say, I need money. 
when I came out, I think I felt like I just needed more. And it, it led to a terrible mistake that I was really lucky to be able to recover from. When I graduated from college, I got two job offers. And I, throughout college, had been really intent on a career as a journalist. I had found my way to the school paper. My favorite professor taught magazine writing. I had internship after internship after internship. My resume was great for journalism. But at the same time, there were a lot of kids at my college who were very pre-professional. They were going into consulting or to Wall Street or to law school or to med school. There was a lot of on-campus interviewing. And so I I decided I would just throw my resume into some piles and I got some on-campus interviews. I got a I got two job offers when I came out of college. One was at a magazine in New York for $12,000 a year. And one was in a retail management training program for $24,000 a year. And I had absolutely no interest in retail, but I took the job for the money. And I knew on day two of working in this job that I had just made a terrible, terrible mistake. It took me about three months to get out of it. I had moved to Hartford, Connecticut, where this this job was. I had a roommate. I bought a car. I mean, I had gone all in and I had to get rid of the car, get rid of the apartment, get another job in New York, which ironically paid $11,500 a year, not the full 12,000 that I had gotten the first time. But I just, I just sort of put my tail between my legs and and did it. And then I got a second job to support myself while I was living in New York because there was no other way to make it, even with a little help from my parents. So out of college, it sounds like you mentioned you overspent on your first credit card. Was that in relation to the first job that you got and and that time or was that in college? Okay. No, it was, I got the card right of senior year coming out of college. I didn't use it much in college. I don't know if I even used it at all in college. If I did, I knew enough to pay it off, but I got to New York. I wanted to look good to go to my magazine job. I, you know, I wanted to dress like the other people I I did. I got, I had very quickly racked up about a half year salary on credit card debt, but simultaneously, I also was doing some freelance writing and I was putting some money into a savings account So I was paying, I don't know, 18.9% interest on the credit card, earning maybe 6% at the time on the savings account. Clearly the math wasn't working, but it was again, a, a product of that need for safety. I felt a lot safer having that money in the bank than I did repaying that credit card, even though it made absolutely no financial sense. Got it. And so, and so once, once you change jobs to the $11,500 job, which I think you mentioned was ironic because of the first $12,000 a year job, uh, job offer, did anything change about your financial habits or, or what did the things continue for the next couple of years or what evolved from there? My financial habits started to change with... I mean, I got on a budget. I understood what I could afford to spend on rent, on food, on pretty much everything. I I did get a second job to that paid hourly a lot more than my first job. And I I was getting with the program very slowly. I didn't really understand the program though until I started reporting on personal finance, working at Smart Money magazine, which was a good half decade later. Got it. So I love that 
I don't want to say mistakes. I mean, you're Jean Chatsky. You're oh, there's so many mistakes. Perfect, uh, but <laughs> but to make these mistakes early, you can you can recover. And I I want people who are listening right now to hear that. Yeah, your financial life may not be perfect, but that doesn't mean it's you know. Oh well, I guess I'm never going to be perfect. I should just stop. Well, what I actually want people to know more is that even if you are making mistakes later or you have some sort of a setback later, you can recover because I got divorced at 40 and I felt like I was starting over for so many things. All of a sudden I was going to be responsible for paying for college for my kids, half of college for my kids. And at that point it was not that far away. And I didn't have any money saved for that. And I had to, because my my game plan with my ex-husband was we had a 15-year mortgage. We were going to pay off the house and then the money that we were putting into the mortgage would pay for college. And that made perfect sense at the time until we split up and then it didn't make any sense anymore. So I you know, very quickly opened 529s, started saving a much greater percentage of my income, made sure that I got myself back on track for retirement. And I did all of that at 40. So it's not, you can recover no matter when those setbacks or mistakes happen. You just have to be thoughtful about the plan that you put together in order to do that. And if I've learned anything we've had on my podcast, which is called Her Money, we've had over the past couple of years, a number of people who are highly involved in the FIRE movement. And they are saving these immense percentages of their income. And they're doing it by being crafty. You know, they're doing it by being very thoughtful about what it is they want to accomplish. They're doing it by keeping their eyes on the bigger goal. And and that's the real point. I don't think there's any magic to this. I think that you just have to make a decision that it's important enough to you to prioritize it. Love it. We hear that every single almost every single episode that there's that it's just a matter of prioritizing decision making all that kind of stuff and we also hear that there's usually some sort of catalyst for that change like i heard a story i heard i had an event and i'm wondering what that was for you did that did that have anything to do with the move to smart money magazine i think it had everything to do with the move to smart money magazine and the fact that i very quickly ended up on television telling other people what to do with their money So, you know, when you're telling other people what to do with their money, you better be doing it too, right? Because otherwise... um, I can relate. Right? Otherwise, (laughs) like you're total fraud, right? You're disingenuous. I mean, I learned, I think what, what makes me maybe different and certainly a little bit approachable is that I didn't come to this as any sort of an expert, right? I just learned on the job. I was lucky enough I mean, the the thing that I think many people feel overwhelmed by in the world of finance is the amount of choice that we have these days. I mean, whether you're choosing a mutual fund, whether you're choosing a credit card, whether you're trying to buy an insurance policy, they're just thousands of choices out there. And my job at Smart Money Magazine was to sit at a computer all day and talk to really, really smart people on the phone about what the best choices were and the best ways to filter those choices, how to make them. And then I could make them for me, but I could also explain to other people 
how to make them. It was just, it was just writing a term paper again and again and again and again on a different subject. And that was a huge gift to me personally. I mean, Mindy, you asked about my money story. I have had enough therapy to understand that it is completely not a coincidence that I ended up writing and reporting about money. Like I saw that this was a problem in my own life and I was going to fix it. And this was, these were my skills, right? My skills were writing and reporting. So I just, I mean, I don't think I thought about this consciously at all at the time. In fact, I know I didn't, but that was exactly the behind the curtain formula or thought process that was going on. Well, I think what makes you so successful and your approach so successful is you're not an expert. You are not using those difficult to understand financial terms that talk way up here when everybody else is down here. You use real words that real people can understand and you make it like it's not hard to figure out your finances, but it is hard to understand what you know, Ben Stein from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's hard to understand him when he's so boring. It's hard to understand, (laughs) you know, I don't want to talk smack about people, but Jim Cramer yells at you and then you feel bad when somebody's yelling at you for making mistakes. I don't even know you. Why am I going to listen to you when you're yelling at me? It's, you know, having, not being an expert, I think is like, the best part about you, not, not being oh, an expert in the beginning. Now you're an expert. Now, now you absolutely have lived it and, and learned it. And, you know, these are the, you use American words, easy to understand words that put it into people's minds and, oh, it isn't that hard. I can do it. I don't have to decipher all this garbage first. Right. And, and I, I, you know, I kind of felt like, I mean, I still feel like if I don't understand it, then I'm not going to talk, you know, I'm not going to explain it. I'm going to, there are things where I really have to work hard to understand them first. And initially when I, when I first started working on television, I don't know how how well you remember Smart Money Magazine, but the stories were six or eight pages long in most cases. And that is far too much information to talk about in three minutes on television. So I used to go through this process of, like just crossing things out and figuring out, okay, where's the essence? And over time, it became easier for me to get to what's important and what's the window dressing. But it certainly, it certainly took a little while. And I do want to just one more time come back to the money story part of things, because I think for all of us, what I learned in reporting women with money is that until we understand our money stories, until we deal with them and the fact that they are never going to go away, we may need strategies that help us work around them, we can't move forward. So for, for a woman like me, who is typical in my overwhelming need for safety and security before I can do other things with my money, I needed to understand why that was And to be able to make myself feel like I was safe enough and secure enough so that I could do what I needed to do, which was put my money to work so that it would take care of me and my kids down the road. 
that brings up an interesting point, the safety part. In your book, you do a lot of like research as a journalist um, and you, you talk to a lot of different women and the overarching theme that women want out of their money is safety. Yep. And women also, I mean, people in general, but women specifically are reluctant to talk about money. And in your book, you have this idea that like, it's, I don't want to like, it's so simple, but it's so brilliant. And I think the most brilliant things are so simple. It's the Her Money Happy Hour. And last night at my friend Van's birthday, I brought up this idea of having this this happy hour where you talk about money. We're getting together to talk about money with our friends. And, you know, I brought up this idea and everybody there was like, yeah, we should totally do that. You'll have to give me your address, Mindy, and I will send you a deck of cards so that you can have your own Her Money Happy Hour. So when I was starting to do the reporting for Women With Money, I figured I would just gather groups of women. I travel a lot for work. I do some speaking and and I figured I would just gather, crowdsource groups of women when I went different places because it's very important when you live in New York like I do to get out of New York. You can't just have like a New York perspective or an urban perspective. You have to you have to hit different places in the country. So I crowdsourced these gatherings. And originally I had this Ziploc bag full of little pieces of paper that had on them leading questions about money. And we would just go around the room and people would draw out a piece of paper and read the question and start talking. And the idea was that everybody would chime in. You know, they're pretty universal questions, but also questions designed to to get a conversation started. Like, you know, what's your biggest money fear? Or what's the thing about money that's holding you back? Or is it okay to hide money from your spouse or your partner in your underwear drawer? And we would continue these conversations. And eventually we packaged it up and we have actual an actual deck of cards so that people can hold a her money happy hour. But you open some wine because wine definitely helps. And these discussions are, they're just liberating. They give us a forum and a format to have these conversations that nobody gives us permission to have. I am so excited. I could kiss you right now for saying oh. that because they... <laughs> They are like, I was, I was reading the money secret I've been keeping is X. Not only do they allow you to have these conversations with other people, they make you look inside. I spend money because X. Mm -hmm. Oh, I spend money because I'm feeling inadequate in another portion of my life. Hey, let's go fix that because, you know, money's tied to a lot of different things. I just love this idea. Now, do you have any tips for these happy hours? Should somebody plan to lead it? Should they just, you yeah. know, hey, ladies, let's get together. Should they send the questions out in advance? No. Ooh, okay. Do not send the questions out in advance. It's actually helpful. Like you should invite, I've had them with anywhere from half a dozen people to I've had 50. I mean, you know, I can facilitate a big, big group. But if you're going to do this on your your own, I'd say anywhere from like eight to 12 people is probably great. And you should invite a friend and then they should bring a friend that not everybody knows. It's better to do this with 
people who have different experiences. So yes, you can do it with all of your best friends, but sometimes strangers facilitate more interesting and more freewheeling conversations because you don't feel like you have to hold back at all. Do not send the questions out in advance. That gives people far too much time to think about it. Don't worry too much about food because in my experience, very few people eat. You can have a little bit of snacks, but really the conversation is the thing. Open again, some wine, some drinks, whatever it is you're you're partial to. And one person should, you know, whoever puts it together should start by facilitating. And the job of the facilitator is, I, I was always taught as a journalist to give a little to get a little. So the job of the facilitator is to chime in and give enough details, enough real details of their own life and their own, you know, embarrassments and failings and wishes and dreams and hopes to get everybody else feeling comfortable doing the same thing. Have you ever done this with men as well to contrast it? I have had some happy hours where people have brought men. And they sometimes inhibit the conversation a little bit. I have never actually invited men, um, but maybe I should, you know, maybe we should do couples happy hours. I, I tend to base my experiences on sometimes I, when I go out and I do speeches, I usually leave about 15, 20 minutes for Q and A at the end. And when I'm in with, with a group of all women, the conversation, the, the questions light right up and they are never ending. And when I'm in a mixed group, they are really slow. The men dominate and I get really frustrated. So, um, <laughs> sounds terrible. No, but, makes sense. But no, I, it sounds I, like uh, real life. So I, I haven't, but some of my friends in their book groups do a once a year couples book. And maybe we should do that too. What are some of the things, or because or, because you know, as a, as a, a man, I I understand some of the things you're, you're talking about and why that dynamic might come up. But what would be some of the outcomes of conversations at these happy hours that might surprise men that we're not thinking of? What what I I mean, the outcomes are often that people get more involved in in the things. You know, they're often the the impetus this to do the thing that you've been waiting to do. So they can be the impetus to get a will. If you've been like holding back on getting a will or naming guardians for your kids, I've seen that to start tracking your spending, to look at your 401k, to find a therapist. I mean, you know, there, there are, it's not unusual to have tears. And for people to get really emotional. But what's wonderful is that the other women, even if they're strangers, are incredibly supportive and non-judgmental. My website and my podcast, we say that we are the judgment-free zone. And I really mean that. Like I do not... I've made, as I've acknowledged to you guys, so many boneheaded mistakes with my own money. I'm certainly not going to judge anybody else. But I think we all work way too hard and this field is too confusing for us to be like on some high horse. We all do the best that we can. We're all able to do it better tomorrow than we're doing it today if we want to think about it that way. But don't judge my money and I won't judge yours. I love that. And I love that, like, I think that should be part of the invitation to the Her Money Happy Hour. Hey, this is a judgment-free zone. We're going to talk about money and, you know, if you're thinking about having a Her Money Happy Hour, ladies, 
think about how you can shut down someone if they come and they, you know, start being judgy. Wow. You spent how much on a shirt? Doesn't matter. It's not your money. That's right. That's right. It's on the box, Mindy. It's on the box. Ground rules. You are in the vault. What happens in a her money happy hour stays in a her money happy hour. And this is a judgment free zone. I love it. I love it. Now, are those available for everybody? They are. They will shortly be available on our website for everybody. Okay, perfect. I'm not sure they'll quite be up by then, but if somebody wants them, if you just send me a note at jeanchatsky.com, we're, we're in the process of getting this done. So if you, it, not at jeanchatsky.com, if you send me a note to jean at hermoney.com, we'll make sure that you get on the list to get the notification. Oh, perfect. And uh, we will have all of these links that Jean mentions in the future at uh, biggerpockets.com slash money show 102. But what I was going to say is this episode is airing on December 9th. Start thinking about the parties you want to have in maybe not in the holidays, maybe in January. You know, we've got New Year's resolutions are coming up. You want to fix your money. That's a huge resolution for a lot of people. Start by having a Her Money Happy Hour. Talk to your friends, talk to their friends, and just start the conversation. I think this is so important. And, you know, so many people don't talk about it. Let's make a decision right now to do this, to start talking about money. And speaking of talking about money, you talk in your book, Women With Money, you talk about and encourage couples to have money dates. And this is a thread that has popped up over and over on our shows. It seems that the most financially successful couples are always on the same page. Rosemary Groner from way back in episode four, Aaron Lowry from episode 24, and again in episode 81, Jamila Souffrant from episode 39. They all have money dates with their spouse, uh, with their significant other, But couples are typically so reluctant to talk about money, which is literally the number one thing that couples fight about. Having regular money conversations can really help you focus on your end goal and and show that you're both on the same team. It's not a competition. It's, you know, you're, you're married, you're on the same team. Having these regular conversations can help right a ship that's kind of veering off in the wrong direction. Why do you think couples are so reluctant to talk about money? And how can we start the conversation with a partner who doesn't want to have it? I think we're reluctant. And I got to say two things. First of all, I hate the term money date. I think it just, I mean, a date is like, I don't know, I, but I do agree. It's important to regularly talk with your spouse or your partner about money. And, and my husband and I do schedule time to talk about money and we do it because we're reluctant. And so actually he's less reluctant than I am. I tend to be the one dragging my heels on this because when you marry somebody, I mean, we, we have this impression that you marry somebody and they're like, all of a sudden you're the same person and you want this. My daughter, she's 22. She likes to say, oh, we're the same person. Well, no, you're not the same person, right? You want different things in life. And you grew up with different money stories, different money histories. You probably have different goals. You have different ways of dealing with stress. And those things are probably what attracted you to your partner to begin with. And so to expect that the minute that you walk down the aisle, all of a sudden your goals and dreams are just going to line up like little soldiers is not going to happen. You have to talk about 
what you want. And then you can go back and you can say, okay, how do we use our money in order to get those things that we now agree that we want? And what are the things that are standing in our way of making these things happen? I also think it's really important, and you didn't ask this question, but I'll answer it anyway, that you give your spouse and your partner or your partner a little bit of financial room, some freedom to do the things that they want to do with their money. I mean, I like to shop. I particularly like to shop for clothes. My husband likes to see really arcane plays that I don't have any interest in seeing, right? And if... If he wants to spend his money on that or or on visiting every baseball stadium in the United States and I want to spend my money on, you know, a new sweater, we should both be allowed to do that within reason as long as it's not sabotaging our goals. And so giving your spouse or your partner room to do some things that they want to do as individuals without asking permission, I think is really essential. I could not agree more. That is a fantastic piece of advice. So do you have separate gene-only bank account where Mm -hmm. you put in, you know, X and then that's yours to spend however you want? You don't have to. You know, I like that idea because, you know, then it's not, well, we agreed, but then he sees this. Why did you spend $750 at Sex Fifth Avenue? We already talked about this. You don't even need to see that I spent $750 at Saks Fifth Avenue. I mean, we have, so we're a second marriage. I should make that clear after I got divorced, I got married again. We both came to this relationship with pretty well-formed financial lives. So we have yours, mine, and ours accounts. We each have our own checking and savings accounts. And then we have a house account and a house savings account. And we put into that account the money for the things that we are going to do together. We fund it regularly based on a percentage of our respective incomes, the same percentage. And that's how we sort of split things up. You know, I I earn more than he does. So my percentage is higher than his percentage. Okay. You said that you both have well-formed financial lives before you got married. Did you talk about money before you got married? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Okay. That's... We, 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 you know, he has two kids. I have two kids. He had a job with a pension and a 401k. I had a pension and a house or a a 401k and a house. Yeah, we, we talked about it and we got a prenup and you have to get a prenup. You know, if you're coming into another relationship where you've got assets especially if you've got kids, if you've got a business, if you're expecting an inheritance. I get a little annoyed at people who like get scared of the prenup. The prenup is no big deal. It's just, it's a piece of paper. You do it. It takes a couple of hours. We basically sat down and agreed on what we wanted in our prenup and then had two different lawyers review it and make sure that it passed the fairness test. And they drew it up and we've not looked at it since. Yeah. Aaron Lowry had a great way of putting this, um, I think on episode 81 of the Bigger Pockets Made podcast, where she said, you are already signing a prenup when you get married in a state because you're agreeing to abide by the laws that govern the divorce in that state, right? So your question when you're doing this is, do I want the state laws and all the complexities and that go along with that? Or do I want our rules that we've agreed on to govern this? And I think that's a really good way to look at it if you're trying to frame that question. 
or you're, you're, it's difficult because as a man, I can say it's, it's very, it's very difficult to discuss that as the man. I think this might be one of those issues that's a little harder to bring up uh, from this side. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, you know what, I, I bet you're right because it, it probably is looked at as one of those documents that was used historically to take advantage of women who were not coming to the relationship with the more likely to be greater earnings trajectory. But I, I do think now with, the, I mean, the percentage of women who are the primary breadwinner is now almost 40%. We're waiting to get married and have kids until much later. And so it makes more and more sense for more and more people. Yeah. So I've been married for, uh, i got to do math, I think 17 years. 18 years. Scott is not yet married, but newly engaged. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. My husband brought up the idea of a prenup. And, you know, this was 100 years ago when we didn't have two dimes to rub together. What are we saving? What are we protecting from each other? But when he presented it, I heard him say, well, we might get divorced. And Mm -hmm. my not as financially evolved mind was very offended that he would even bring this up. Why are you asking for a prenup? You clearly just know that this is going to end in divorce. So I was so angry that he brought it up. He dropped the conversation and never brought it up again. And until Aaron said that, you already have a prenup. It's the divorce laws in your state. That really made sense to me. But you know, how do you get past this typically female thought, oh, you're just looking at divorce. How can you get over that? Well, I, I think you need to understand it's just not about that. And maybe you can't get past it. But understanding that half of all marriages, depending on whose statistics you're looking at, do end in divorce, you're protecting yourself as well. Yes. I love the way that Aaron phrased it. You already have one, right? whether you know it or not, you already have a prenup. So put in the prenup what you want. And it's not just protecting you in the case of divorce, it's protecting you in the case of death. So, you know, it really is making sure that assets move the way that you want them to move. And I think it's just part of modern life. Yeah. One thing that's a kind of derivation of this topic, and you mentioned this earlier, you have yours, ours, and mine, uh, bank accounts and all that kind of stuff. Was that also something you discussed prior to getting married? Or is that something that you evolved? Or how did you come up with that general structure? Well, we, we, um, it sort of evolved. I mean, when we first got married, we just had yours and mine. And then it was clear that it would be easier that if there were some, worth some things that we could pay for together, not just the house, because we could have, you know, it was easier to write one check for the mortgage and one check for utilities. And, and we got a joint credit card as well. And we pay that out of the house account. It was just easier. I didn't like, this is your turn to pay for dinner. This is my turn to pay for dinner. I just felt kind of weird and unromantic, especially when we were going out with other couples. So we got a joint credit card and, and it evolved to be that. And now, you know, we're thinking about merging more things. My husband is uh, retired and he stopped, he's doing some consulting, but he retired from his corporate job like a year and a half ago. And we're thinking maybe that'll be easier going into the future. 
So I think it's a process. It's an evolution. And, and, and in the book, in Women With Money, I actually have a list of about a dozen different ways that couples manage their money together. And they all are working ways. They're all ways that the couple's featured are happy with. I did that intentionally because again, I think this is just one of those things when you find a system that works for you, you use that system and then you don't have to talk to the outside world about it, right? If you've got in-laws who are critical of of what you're doing in your life, they, they don't get to judge this. You close ranks and you take care of yourselves as a couple. Yes. And what works for you only has to work for you. And if it works for both of you, that's the end of who it has to work for. I love that. And what I'm hearing, the overarching theme of this whole thing is communication. Yeah. I don't know what Jean Chatsky is thinking until I ask her. I don't know what Carl Jensen is thinking until I ask him. That's my husband. So if I want him to know something, I have to tell him because he can't read minds. Your husband can't read minds. Scott, spoiler alert, Virginia cannot read minds. So if you want her to know something, you have to tell her. And Virginia, if you want Scott to know something, you have to tell him too. There's a, there was a really, really great modern love column in the New York Times over the past weekend about a woman who was just getting angrier and angrier and angrier because her husband left a shirt out. Um, he left the shirt, you know, just unfolded on some dresser in the middle of the room where it didn't belong. And she decided that she was going to take a stand and not put it away. And it sat there for eight months when she did not put it away and she just got angrier and angrier and angrier. And I thought there is so much, you know, until eventually he put it away because he finally noticed it. And he, he pointed out that he had also put away the socks that she left hanging out on the, on the top of the dryer, which she hadn't noticed, right? Unless we tell people what's going on in our minds, they just aren't going to know. Yep. Absolutely. 100% agree. There's a lot to think about from that story, actually. So. Yeah. Okay. It is now time for the famous four questions. These are the same four questions that we ask of all of our guests. Jean, are you ready? I am ready. Okay. What is your favorite finance book? My favorite finance book is probably... Um, this is a hard one because I have a lot of famous of favorite finance books. The one I go back to as a resource all the time is Jane Bryant Quinn's Making the Most of Your Money. I don't think anybody's ever said that one. That's awesome. Uh, Jane was a role model for me. I'm I'm lucky enough to know her. And she is just a fabulous reporter. Nothing gets by her. And it was, it was a, you know, it was a really important book at the time and still is. I'm going to have to check that out. What was your biggest money mistake? The biggest was probably cashing out that 401k early on. I've, I've gone back. I've added up how much money that would have been worth. It was not pretty. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's not always the best choice to go back and put a dollar figure on your mistake. No, no. But you kind of, you know, you, you have to sometimes. Yeah. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? Say 15% of everything. If you do that from the day you start until the day you're finished working, you will be just fine. And by the way, it can include matching dollars. I love it. So easy. So simple. 
that require you don't have to look at the budget real into first. You have to look at your income. Exactly. And then you know what to do. All right. Well, do you have a joke today or a favorite joke that you like to tell at parties? You know, I was I did not come prepared with a joke. I apologize, but um, I'm told that you get some some bad jokes from some of your listeners, and you can just sub one in for me. Absolutely. Yes. Cool. How many tickles does it take to make an octopus laugh? Ten um, tickles. Is that right? Ten tickles? Ten tickles. Why? Oh, yes. <laughs> ten tentacle. tickles. Tentacles. Like, like the tentacles. Tentacles. Of <laughs> <laughs> okay, I get it. <laughs> See, they're terrible. Uh, Scott right. does this all day long. That's true. Yes, I have. I, I I enjoy these little these these horrible dad jokes. These groaners. All right, Jean. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, at hermoney.com. And if you're not receiving our free newsletter or not signed up for the podcast, if you just go to hermoney.com/slash/sign-up, we'll get you on the list. Awesome. awesome. Okay, the book is called Women with Money: The Judgment-Free Guide to Creating the Joyful less stressed, purposeful, and yes, rich life that you deserve. Jean, thank you so much for your time today. This was a lot of fun. It was fun for me too. Thanks for having me. Okay. And we will talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. All right. That was Jean Chatsky. Mindy, what'd you think? Oh my goodness. Did I fangirl too much over her? It's just such... No, you fangirled the perfect amount. (laughs) It's just so much fun (laughs) to talk to somebody that you've been following for years and... I read her book, Women With Money. I love, like, it's just, she wrote the book for me. I mean, other people can read it too, but she wrote that book for me and it was fantastic. Like everything she's saying, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. The Her Money Happy Hour, I am so excited to host one. We have a women's real estate meetup here in Denver that I attend. And I'm going to reach out to Marjorie who runs it and ask her if she would like to have a Her Money Happy Hour. So uh, once I get those cards from Jean, thank you, Jean. And just ask those questions because I really think that that's so important in starting the, the conversation about money. Yeah, absolutely. It was eye-opening to hear that when there's a mixed group that men dominate the conversation, you know, it's not, I don't think it came as a huge surprise, but it was certainly eye-opening just to kind of feel, hey, this is important that women have a opportunity to have these discussions just with other women. And I think, you know, it sounds like following some of the guidelines that she suggested might help people open up. So Scott's email address is scott at biggerpockets.com. Feel free to let him know that it is not at all eye-opening to you ladies uh, (laughs) that men dominate the conversation. I think that that is, I'm going to defend Scott and say that this is not a position of uh, sexism or chauvinism or anything like that. He's just, that's a position of innocence. Ladies, I am not at all surprised. It was not eye-opening at all that Jean said that men dominate the conversation because that has been my experience. Um, I don't want to say that's a bad thing, but it kind of is a bad thing. Like it doesn't give you a chance to speak your mind when somebody else is already, you know, talking over you. So I will say that if that is also your experience, start a women's meetup, start a her money meetup, start a your money meetup, start a ladies talk about money. And, you know, as Jean said, sometimes people will bring their spouses. If you don't want to have men at the meetup, make that clear in the meetup 
invitation. Hey, this is for women to talk about money. Don't bring your boys with you. But yeah, sorry, Scott. No, no, absolutely. I, I, again, I, I don't think it was surprising. It's just something you need to keep hearing as a man that this is a struggle that women go through. It, it just needs to be continue to be front and center. And that's helpful because that, that allows me to keep that perspective front of mind. Because sometimes you can forget if you're a man that this is something that maybe it's a little harder for a woman to talk about or, or for women in general to discuss. Yes. And you know, I think in general, it's difficult for everybody to discuss, but for women specifically, and I'm not sure why, and I live in this weird little bubble where I've been a part of this personal finance media space for so long that it's not weird. I'll meet somebody. I'm like, oh, how much did you pay for your house? What did you pay for your car? Did you buy it new? Did you buy it used? And and sometimes I, I get these looks. I'm like, oh, I should tone that down <laughs> because I just met you. And why would you share your financial information with me? Um, no, but lots of really great tips. It was really nice to hear Jean's money story. I don't know that I've ever heard her exact money story. You know what was nice is that she made mistakes too. She is not perfect. She messed up her credit card at first and she cashed out a 401k that she wishes she did not. But I love what she said. These mistakes don't have to define the rest of your life. You can recover from these mistakes. So if you're listening and you've made a big mistake or even a small mistake that you feel is a big mistake, just know that you can recover. Absolutely. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 102 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast with Gene Chatsky, I am Mindy Jensen and he is Scott Trench and we we don't have anything clever. So goodbye. Bye-bye. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.